Welcome to the OA Serenity Sunday Meeting Podcast. Serenity Sunday is now hybrid, meeting in person at Roxbury Park in Beverly Hills and on Zoom. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroups webpage at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live in either iteration. Now that we're meeting in person, Serenity Sunday has regular meeting expenses and would appreciate Seventh Tradition donations to help support the meeting and this podcast. You can donate via Venmo at Serenity Sunday. Last four digits of the phone number are 6255 or through PayPal, Serenity Sunday 1212 at gmail.com. The opinions expressed on the Serenity Sunday podcast are those of the individual speaker and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And now, our speaker. Hi, my name is Matt. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I have 16 years of absence by the grace of God in this program. I'm down 100, uh, 40, 160 pounds from my top weight. Um, I came into this program when I was 21. I remember going to this meeting back before they renovated this entire thing. It was it was a completely different experience and it, it was just a rec center. It was the very basic kind of surprise to see the rec center in Beverly Hills that looked the way it did. It was, <laughs> was not what you would have, it, they needed to redo it. Um, but this meeting used to be completely filled up and um, obviously it, you know, there's people here on, on Zoom now, uh, but there was that experience of like you could really feel that sense of like this is where the solution was and my dad was a minister so like i grew up going to church on sunday and uh, now here i was i would go to meetings and um serenity sunday it had that feeling like oh, i'm going to church and uh and one thing like growing up you know there's that thing of like i always had a sense of a higher power or like a sense of god and they talk about how in 12 steps it's a design for living. And for me, I never really knew how to access a power greater than myself or access this idea of God, but I always knew there was something. And um, 12 steps and OA really gave me that, helped me find that sense of something bigger than myself that helped me, gave me a way to access it. And the way it gave me the ability to access for, you know, so like I said, I came when I was 21. I didn't know how to do life. I didn't know how, because I had just moved out to LA. I'd hit my bottom. I was over 300 pounds trying to get a job. And um, I couldn't get a job. I was morbidly obese. I was um, wanting to die, but I didn't want to kill myself. The food stopped working. I literally would eat to try to like feel better and it just stopped working. That to me is divine, an experience of divine intervention when the food stops working. And I remember um, wanting to cut myself to feel pain, like just so I could feel something because I couldn't stop this anxiety I was having inside myself about what I was gonna do. Like, where was I gonna live? How was I gonna take care of myself? I bought a one-way plane ticket, you know, to be out here. And then I was about to be homeless. I had no money. I had, I didn't have a car. Like it was, it was, it was a bottom. And I was choosing food over, over shelter, over, over everything. And so, you know, I, 
the longer sort of, I got into recovery and I lost my absence at 30 days and six days at 90 days. I was one of the youngest people in the rooms. There weren't many men in the men in the rooms. It's very different today. Thank God. I'm, I'm so grateful to see so many men in recovery in this area of their lives. And, um, and there's also so many men here who have inspired me and who have been a huge part of, of my recovery. Hi, David. Give David a shout out. Uh, and um, I got on the intergroup board at one year of absence in the LA intergroup. Talk about having to, getting to be in like the center of the herd um, and also having to learn very quickly principles before personalities um, or not, or learn all the ways in which I was falling short. Um, and talking to my, calling my sponsor every day about stuff because people weren't doing it the way I wanted to do it. Um, and uh, I guess what's coming up for me, like what I want to talk about and what's coming up for me is this idea of change and this idea of transition and how do we stay abstinent through that. So in like the, in the 16 years I've been here, I've gotten married, I've gotten divorced, I've been through multiple relationships, I've been through dysfunctional relationships, I've, been, I've, I've had bottoms in other areas of my life that I had to go find 12-step recovery for. I've moved, I've changed jobs multiple times. And I used to think that being in recovery, when I was early on, I thought that recovery meant that life would be safe and that life would not be messy. And I've seen people in these rooms come and go, partly because like the issue and change with, tra with transition of time uh, or what, how things change is so painful. Because I know when I was in recovery, I had a rigid absence, I had a rigid way of doing things, and then life changed. Life got bigger, things, more things came into my life. I had to be less rigid because if I wanted to truly be of service in the world and I wanted to show up, I had to be willing to let go of certain rigidity around food or the way I thought about things even morally um, or how I, how I pictured how people were supposed to be or I was gonna relapse. And, um, and that's like the one thing that I always talk about is being messy. Uh, because even with diets, I didn't wanna do it. I would start a diet and then I would stop it. So then I never even wanted to start. I never even wanted to try to help myself because I thought that if I couldn't do it perfect, then what was the point? And, um, um, right now I'm in this time of my life where there's a lot of changes and, um, the things that have been coming up for me, I had a sponsor, I was talking to my sponsor, like I'm, I'm in a relationship. We're moving, we moved in together. I, uh, yesterday was the last day at my day job. And so this is my first Sunday that I've had off in years. And so it's, it's sitting, I'm like, I'm at a meeting. It's kind of like really, really beautiful and and um i i'm now basically working for myself full time and um and other people but like through my through my business and um i remember talking to my sponsor about like i feel like i'm not in my body it feels like i i everything feels so uncomfortable and he goes it's not uncomfortable matt it's unfamiliar I'm like, like, for me, recovery is always about reframing my perspective on things. Um, I remember even just last night, I was talking to my partner and I said, you know, oh, I just uh, quit. I, I quit my, I quit one of my jobs. I'm not, I, I'm not working there anymore. And even that I realized it, it's 
there's still a sense of lack in that mentality versus if I'm saying, oh, I'm now working full time for my business. There's a shift that, that has a sense of positivity versus a sense of loss. And for me, even with the food, when I let go of the food, you know, I can, I can either focus on the foods that I'm not eating or I can focus on all the foods that I can eat. Um, I can even focus on, like one thing that I said early on in myself in recovery, and this applies in all areas of my life. Um, I remember thinking God has, this is like when I was, you know, early on in absence, I was like, God has something better planned for me than that piece of cake. And um, the reason why I say that is like, I would watch people that could eat one piece of cake. I don't get it. I really, really don't. I don't get it. I don't see how they, I, I just cannot, generally cannot understand that. And, um, and so then I realized too, like, you know, when I want to act out in certain character defects, like God has something better planned for me than raging or, or calling someone a name or, you know, whatever it is, God has something better planned for me than that job that I stay at because it's so familiar and comfortable or, you know, familiar, not comfortable because I hated the job, you know, I'm growing up in, in dysfunction, you know, it wasn't that it was comfortable. It was familiar and it's what I knew and I'm 39 now and I'm moving into this place where like I want quiet like I want peace and I don't know what that means or what that looks like and I don't know and so I feel like I have no control and so in this odd way I feel like a newcomer and the illusion is I never had control never had control and that to me is just as much a drug as the food it's it's, it's the, uh, chasing the illusion of I can control this or I can control that. And I say this all the time, how I am with the food is how I am with everything in my life. How can I fix it? How can, how can I control it? And I'm finding like right now, you know, I've been working out more than I have and I've gained weight. And I'm wondering what that means and what am I doing wrong and how is this supposed to look and what am I supposed to do? And also like I just... Like I'm now living a completely different life and my life is really unfamiliar, but it's very familiar to focus on my body. It's very familiar to focus on the food. It's very familiar to focus on this and that. And I feel weird saying that because I've also have felt at times, especially early in recovery, that sense of diet culture that still really enters into these rooms of OA. And what I say by that is absence, the definition of absence is abstaining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards maintaining a healthy body weight has nothing to do with being good or bad. It is not a moral issue. And I have to remind myself of that. And the reality is I can even turn my sense of humanness, I can even turn my human experience into something that is good or bad versus I'm learning as I go and that life is a process. And when you look at diets, it's not a process. It's you're this or you're that. You're doing it this way, you're doing it that way. And I was really resistant in my recovery for a long time to acknowledge that abstinence and a plan of eating are two different things. And sometimes they definitely mirror each other and they're reflective of each other. Uh, but my sponsor has, is, has long-term sobriety in this program. He's also an AA. And I love black and white thinking. And you know what? My plan of eating supports my abstinence. And, um, and there are foods I don't eat because I know that even trying them, it ain't going to go anywhere good. Like, it's just not even worth it. But that doesn't feel like a diet. That feels like a surrender. 
Um, I commit my food. Committing my food for me is a practice uh, and an exercise of step one. And I tell sponsees, if you admit, you commit. It's a, it's a practice of, of admittance that I'm a compulsive overeater. So when I commit my food to my sponsor, I am bringing a higher power into my food situation. Um, and that's for me, like what I was saying earlier on about this program, when working these steps, I create the condition to have a higher power. I don't have to know what it is. I don't have to have a label for it. Even now, all these years later in recovery, I don't know if I necessarily have a definition of my higher power. What I do know is that like my sponsor, my first sponsor said, only thing you need to know about God is you're not it. And um, you know, one thing that I do have a consistent fear of that I'm actually okay with having is a fear of relapse, a fear of where my disease will take me. And I know we talk about like, there's no room for fear and faith, but my sponsor said in, in his religious practices, there's a saying about like, the, only, the only real healthy fear to have is a fear of turning away from the light of God. And if I'm not abstinent, then I am truly turning away from the light of God. And what that extends, what that means to me is, you know, in the big book, it talks about we found the great reality deep down within us. And for me, that is where our higher power begins. It, it, it begins with the great reality deep down within me. And um, the other thing that I really do believe in, in terms of higher power, and I've had other people tell me, like, if you want to find God, like, okay, one, get in the present moment. Present moment, is that is where I can, that is the only place I can actually experience higher power. Um, but also another way to put that is, like, reality. God is reality because I can't change it. It is what it is. If I'm in my head about it, if I'm trying to fantasize about what it could be, all that stuff, that is not God. That is all me. Reality is what it is right now. So the question is, what today am I going to do for myself to move me to the, way, to the places that I want to go? <coughs> and like this whole thing of like, we're never done. Right. So I did intergroup here and then I did world service at, at, you know, the a much higher level. I was a delegate at world service for several years, got to have huge impact um, and have ha really share, use my experience to help, help the fellowship. But I was always so aggressive because I felt like no one would listen to me or I would get annoyed and I would scare people at world service. They loved me. They were like all, all these older people. They're like, they loved it because they're like, they're just happy to see a young person there with passion and this and that. But I wasn't happy with it because I realized I was also coming from this place of growing up in a, in a home or in a, you know, where I felt like I was never heard and I was never seen. And at school, I felt bullied. So I would approach this world from this real volatile place in order to be heard. And so now I just rejoined the intergroup board. And we had our first meeting and we were, since I've been on it, and we were working through some things and I could feel it. I was like getting there. My tone was coming out. I felt the attitude. I was annoyed. I wanted things to go my way. I wanted to take control. And by the end of the meeting, I was like, I, am, I, I want to apologize for my tone of voice. It, my frustrations are because I love this fellowship and I want it to, I want it to flourish, and um, I apologize if my frustrations were directed at anybody. 
but like 16 years in, it's like the exact same stuff I was dealing with when I was on the intergroup board like 16 years, 15 years ago, or when I did world service. And the whole point is, is like the one thing that I have to remind myself is like, I will, oh, that's five, I have five, thank you. It's like, I will always be dealing with this stuff. I will always be dealing, the idea that it's gonna go away, if I wanna take myself back to relapse, it's, it's thinking or hoping that I'm not gonna have things that I struggle with or you know the imperfections. And um, I also had another, another funny thing with my, with my partner the other day. We were doing these things called guiding principles, like how basically that her sponsor and another fellowship had suggested that we do where we write down how we're going to navigate conflict and communication and all this. And so we did the writing and then um, something got messed up with the formatting on the computer and so I'm trying to reformat it. She's trying to reformat it. How do you, in the end of writing these spiritual guiding principles, end up angry and walking out and slamming the door? <laughs> like, that's what I ended up doing. And, um, and so what ended up happening later on was my partner was sharing with me. And she actually related to what I was struggling with and shared with me that she like understands the powerlessness in that experience. And so what I'm saying is, is what, what that exemplifies to me is like when I am willing to extend my experience and my compassion to someone else, that is the greatest extinguisher for, for a volatile situation. And so I, my sponsor talks to me all the time about moving from volatility to vulnerability. And that for me is my barometer for how I'm going to navigate the world. And I am not there yet. Like I, I, I'm having to go through and set timers on my phone and, and reminders about stuff. But I say all this because like, honestly, I don't, my experience has been that OA doesn't teach this stuff. There are things that we work this program to open us up to have whatever the experience is that our higher power needs us to have. Maybe that means we go get outside help like therapy, or we have to go to another fellowship, or we have to do something that helps us. Like, I, I also had the experience of going to a personal trainer for a while because I, I wanted to change my body. I needed that experience. Did it necessarily work? No. But I got to see where I was at in my life. So we get to come here and we get to experiment. We get to try different things. We get to see what works and what doesn't work. And at the end of the day, it's just about being honest. If I am willing to be honest about what I'm doing with the food and my behavior in my life, it's amazing how I might get off track, but I don't get too far off track. Like that for me has been the greatest experience that I've had is the beauty of what honesty really does. Rigorous current honesty. Um, I, I'm in this place right now where I'm not really having much communication with my family um, by choice, but it's not from a place of volatility. It's that I've, I've asked for them to show up in certain ways and I feel like I'm always the one doing the showing up. I'm always the one doing the, I'll come to you. I offered to come to them this last time. And even if I were to fly over there, get an Airbnb and stay there so they could meet my partner, my, my mother is still too overwhelmed around certain things. And for the first time, I just listened to her. I wasn't trying to fix it or change it or make it different or make it better. 
And you know what? The ability to respond differently in a situation all comes down to my condition, not theirs. And um, I'm just one day at a time doing my best to choose not being a victim. And also not being a victim to my own disease. Because it's really easy to be like, I have a disease and I'm a, I have negative thinking and I have, yes, you will. Now stop it. <laughs> my sponsor told me, he goes, Matt, when your head really gets going, pull over to the side of the road and just yell to your head, stop. I did that. I mean, I literally lost my voice one time because my head was so loud trying to figure everything out. I literally had to pull over and just scream at myself. And now, like right now in my life, I'm feeling so scared because so many things are so unknown. And it's like, I, I had a therapist one time tell me, Matt, rest in the mystery. Rest in the mystery. Absence, you know, and, then, and that makes me think, like when I was new, absence was just the beginning. And I think we forget that we come in here, and for me, abstinence is the greatest tool for me to recover. Absence is not the end-all be-all. Absence is the tool that gets me uncomfortable enough to need a higher power. Thank you. Um, I'm going to just wrap up with just saying how much I love this fellowship. Um, I feel like I'm finding a newfound love for it in a different way. I'm kind of, you know, finding my place uh, where I feel comfortable here in the fellowship again. Because um, I was always like coming to meetings, doing the work and all this stuff. Um, but I've needed a lot of outside help and other fellowships. And so what I get to say is like, I get to just be here. I just get to be a part. I get to be one among many and I get to mess up and show up. And yeah, so thank you for letting me share.